1: Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, twelve twenty KDOW.
0: Welcome in. Rob Black and your money, I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money investing and more. What's on your financial mind? Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. That's kind of what I try to pride myself on, is making a show that's Easily, easily digestible by you. So, one of the things that I like to do is, you know, talk about uh, ways for you to get ahead, rules for you to live by. A couple of them are tied towards credit, having a good credit score, having a good loan, having a good. What else would we be looking for? Um, savings plan. I got an email yesterday from a man who delivers packages. And he's probably listening right now because he says he listens to the station all day long. For On Track. what's interesting to note about this is that he was able to save $3,000. And from listening to this station, he was like, I want to start a trading account. What should I do? I'm like, well, you're clearly confusing my show with other shows because I'm not much of a trader. I've never met a trader who turned $3,000 into $500,000. The gentleman was 31 years old. I was like, do you have a 401k? And nope. The way Amazon runs that on-track delivery company, they they do it so that they're independent contractors. So he has to take care of himself. So instantly, the best thing he's going to be thinking about probably is a Roth IRA. So I I, I pleaded, instead of going with... A uh, $3,000 trading account, why don't you do a $3,000 Roth IRA and start funding that? And instead of going with an individual stock, why don't you go with a diversified exchange traded fund? That's the best thing that he could do. Now, $3,000 also at his age of 31, he's behind. He should have somewhere between $10,000 and $40,000. $40,000 if you're affluent or want to be affluent in retirement. $10,000 if you just want to get by in retirement. If you don't have that, you're behind. So you need somewhere between 100000 and 400000 by the time you reach 40. You need to replace somewhere between 10 times and 20 times your salary by the time you retire. So these are some of the things that we talk about. Hopefully it's not offensive to you. Let's bring on Tony Mendez, Bay Area It's Bay Area Loan Good morning, Rob. Morning. how's your retirement plan going these days? Uh,
1: You know, I'm I'm falling in those numbers, but I'd like to be at the higher end of it.
0: <laughs> you yeah. know that
1: I'm 40, you know, it's 40 to 50, and, you know, you're starting to add up those numbers, and it gets kind of scary. Like, am I behind? Do I have a, my assets in the right place? Like, I have a couple houses with some equity, and I have an IRA, and then I, my wife has an IRA and a 401K.
0: It's like, does it all make sense? And it's, it gets kind of intimidating. It does get kind of intimidating. And then there's even, like – yeah. The further that intimidation is, how much money do you need to be buried? Like that's how like crazy money is. It it rules our lives. You you pay to be buried. You'd think like just throw me in the backyard in a shoebox would be good enough, but nope. You gotta come up with seven thousand dollars. Is seven thousand is the average that basically that you need at this point in time. So cost of funeral has been rising. Here's a cost. Uh, here's a case of inflation in 1960. It cost you about $700 to be buried. You jump up to 1970, it was $983 to be buried. Jump up to 2000, it was $5,100. And uh, the recent one, $7,000. So that's an industry that I, I find vile, the death industry. Because don't you want to bury your spouse in a ebony cof- coffin? Well, I wasn't actually thinking that until you made me feel bad that I'm buried I'm in, a, in a cardboard box. Uh, the cardboard box is good enough <laughs> by me, but, uh, anyway. Well, you won't know any different, right, Rob? I assume not. So, and then, Lord knows, the moment I get buried, in a, or the moment I say, let's just incinerate me. Then, in your backyard, I, that's what I say, right? Isn't Then there's going to be, like, a, a zombie revolution, and I won't be a part of it if I go in the incinerator. Not, I do want to be part of a zombie <laughs> revolution. <laughs> you must know you're a zombie, though. I don't know. You don't think zombies have consciousness? No. There's a new book coming out next year. Basically
1: implying that they fail. Okay, I have the bon- zombie survival guide that I got for Christmas, so yeah, I'm studying up on that. Why? Why haven't you put that on Craigslist? Why haven't you gotten rid of that? You just got it. Okay, okay, I'll
0: read it. Um, so rents have been going up, much like the cost of death has been going up. So the inflation that we've seen in the cost of death from five hundred dollars a burial to seven thousand dollars. If you could have invested in death back in 1960, it would have been a pretty good investment. Same thing with rentals. Um, The rental market right now is out of control. The average rental now in New York City is $4,000. That's crazy. $4,000 for the average Mm -hmm. uh, in Manhattan. So I remember the days when $1,100 seemed like a lot to live in basically a... 12-by-12 12 12 room that you look to your left, and that's your toilet, and you look to your right, and that's your bedroom. You look to the behind you, and that's your TV room, and then right smack in the middle of your kitchen.
1: So. One of the reasons we're seeing multifamily units, new construction, is just skyrocketing. Um, every month, it seems like we're getting a new report that, oh, new home construction is going up. You see it every month. It's mostly new. It's mostly multifamily because builders are saying, you know what? Rents are up. We're doing. We're going to make these projects and just kind of put single family on hold until affordability gets better.
0: Affordability, and that's the teeter-totter with should you buy or should you rent. Uh, I always will say if you're going to be in the property five to ten years, strongly, strongly consider buying, especially at a period of time where rates are historically at low levels. As far as teeter-totters go, teeter-totters is not the most exciting term to say, but uh, I think one of the things I regret, or one of the things that I see a lot of people do, they they turn into career renters so that they can stay a little bit more mobile. And that's, that's a good thing if you want to be mobile. But it's a bad thing if you want to create wealth over time. You'd rather be paying yourself rent versus paying the landlord rent. No, that's tax write-offs,
1: um, you know, the pride of ownership. the Building that equity is just, it's key.
0: It really is key. I uh came from the east coast to the west coast and one of the very first places that I rented the landlord he liked to come into the, the yard and like kind of inspect his properties like he was always in his properties and he, al- he always had keys to like other people's properties but no way in hell he was going to have a key to mine Um but he'd go in the properties and he'd like pee in the backyards like I don't like landlords like I'm a cool landlord comparatively to say but I don't know anyway um yeah, where are you seeing a lot of construction right now in the Bay Area? I see a ton of construction
1: in San Francisco. There is, uh, as a matter of fact, there's you know some of the projects that they're doing down in the Mission area are uh, controversial because uh, they're going to be high-end units, and you know this is in one of the poorer areas, if you can call that, in San Francisco, and you know people are concerned that there's no low-income housing. Uh, and so that's what San Francisco is all about right now. Is that, and that's that that fight that that they're having. You you know the city wants high paying jobs, high high income earners, so they can spend money in the city. And then yet they also want to take care of the people that have been living there in the city for a long time. And every city is going to go through this. I mean, rents have gone up in in Oakland, for example, and, and San Jose is the highest rent in the nation on average. So uh, the landlords are definitely taking advantage of it, and we're going to keep seeing this uh, as. Uh, as home prices keep going up, people are going to need to rent more
0: and rents are going to keep going up. Yeah, the building that I work at in TV just recently got sold. And uh, an icon of a building for news in the Bay Area for 50 years, now suddenly going to flip-flop and be a single family, not single family, but uh, micro apartments. Yep. So, With that being said, let's take a little bit of a break here. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Tony is a... Mortgage lender, need a mortgage. You can find him at Bay Area com. It's Bay Area com. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial and money, investing, and more. One of the things about me is that I'm incredibly shy in real life, but on radio, I have this mission to get you to retirement. I pledge if you listen to the show, I will do everything I can to be honest with you and to show you as much as I can that you can educate yourself to accumulate wealth. Later in life, I'm going to want you to have someone help you manage it, because that's a different ballgame. Once you've created wealth and you're 60 years old, you really don't want to mess this up with tax implications, with running out of money and your lifetime implications. You need to know exactly what you can and can't do. I try to give some time to the millennials, Generation Xers and the boomers. I try to give an overall blend of all of them together to see if that ultimately helps in any way, shape, or form. One of the areas that I'm really big on is credit. I once wrote a book and one of the chapters was called Credit. It can make you a prince or a pauper. And obviously, I have an issue that parents should not let their kids mess up their credit. My parents don't let me mess up my credit. That's not the point. It's not like I've got some sort of daddy issue or anger issue. It's that I know that coming out of college when you're saddled with debt, a good credit score can help you get a lower cost of debt. A good credit score can help you get a a good credit score will, can help you get a job. No employer in their right mind is going to hire you without running your credit at this point in time. None. They want to see are you a deadbeat or not. Or they want to see have you, you know, quit a job on the, on the fly that you were only at for like one week. Credit scores give you all that information a little bit more. So you need to know what your credit score looks like. Joining me now, Tony Mendez, bayarealownsource.com. Credit scores run between 301 and 850. What's oh, the highest credit score you've ever seen? As a mortgage, it was company. a plumber.
1: actually. Really? Yeah, eight, eight, eight thirty-five. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and he had credit cards for his whole life. You know, never had a really big balance, and his wife had probably like an 820 score. So, it, it, you don't have to be rich to have a good credit score. You don't. You can be, you know, modest. You just have to have credit. You, you just have to have credit. As a matter of fact, I read an article today about. A guy who um, is wealthy, paid off all of his debt, and he has bad credit. It's because he didn't, he, he's not establishing anything. You need to hold a balance. You need to keep the balance be- well below the limit. Okay? Oh, $20,000 card, that doesn't mean take twenty grand out. It means manage your debt. Um, of course, the credit card companies want you to borrow that, but don't do that. You know, if you have to lower your, your limit. But um, derogatories. You know, getting getting your copy of your credit report. This is start at the beginning. Get a copy of your credit report, annualcreditreport.com, and check it. Make sure everything on there is yours. Make sure that, the, you know, the derogatories are yours, if there are any. And then just keep an eye on it. There's great apps now that you can you put even on your phone, and it can help you manage. You know, so being interactive with your credit report or your credit history is extremely important. Even going down to, like, your previous addresses, your previous
0: job, and employers, all of those things make a difference. You talk really fast. When you put an app on your phone, you can get, like, Credit Karma, Credit Sesame, Credit.com, and you can actually sign up with any of those three apps. You could have it email you when you open a new line of credit. Right. So instead of going out and spending a lot of money to get, you know, protection against credit uh, fraud, you just sign up for a free app.
1: Hey, you, you told me a story about where you got notified when somebody ran their cre- your credit at an auto dealership, yeah, in the East Bay.
0: Yeah, of which I've never been to a Lexus dealer in the East Bay. I don't think
1: you've been in the East Bay.
0: I'm in the East Bay right now, aren't I? Yeah, technically, Fremont. But that's for work. Yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 I don't, I don't live in Peninsula. <laughs> so, and when I do, it's to go to Hawaii. <laughs> Bastard. So, five components—is it five things that hurt your credit score or help your credit score? Um, types of credit used is the least influential. What's that mean, types of credit used?
1: Um, Revolving, it can be installment, student loans, um, credit cards, things like that are installment. I'm sorry, revolving, student loans are are installment, and then uh, car payments, installment. So you have different types, mortgages, and then
0: a couple other. So that's 10% of your credit score. Another 10% is new credit, and Mm -hmm. another 15% is length credit history. Yep. What's the difference yeah. between new credit? I guess new credit is just new cards.
1: In getting new, new young credit. Basically, anything within tw- 24 months or two years is considered new credit.
0: Okay, and that's a negative?
1: It can be, yes, uh, including a mortgage. A lot of people that get a mortgage will see their uh, refinance or a purchase, will see their credit score drop for a couple months, and it, it takes a while to get back up. Length of credit
0: history, uh, 15%. Big one, big one, yeah. Which I was so bummed recently. I've had a Bank of America credit card for 15 years, and I've never used it for, like, 14 years, and I went to, like, get a card issued so I could use it and keep it active. And they said, "Ah, oh, we just canceled your card two days ago. I'm like, okay. So my length of my credit, on no, my credit report went down. Well, it, that was, that was It's even still
1: on there, and it, it'll still record as an old trade line. But it, anything that's a, an entry on your credit is called a trade line. It'll still stay there, but now you've established new credit and you have a shorter term, so, yeah, you've kind of just equaled it itself out. Amounts owed. Amounts owed is a big one. This is, as a matter of fact, it's one of the quickest ways that you can improve your credit score is by changing your balances to the, compared to the limit.
0: It's about 30% of your credit score. Yep. So, and how, what would you go about to do that?
1: Well, let's say you have three credit cards with a you know, high, with let's say $5,000 limit on each, and you have 4000 on each but you have two or three other credit cards that you have high interest on that you don't want to use, but you use it just for emergencies. You could spread it out. But before I did that, I would renegotiate. So there's some ways that you can really get involved with your credit card companies. Renegotiate. Say, listen, I'm going to cancel you. I want to lower credit score I want to lower interest rate. Then spread out the balances or just pay it off.
0: And the final one is payment history. That's about 35%. That's pretty obvious. Pay your yeah. bills on time. That being said, it's Tony Mendez. You can find him at bayarealonesource.com. That's Bay Area Loan Source. Okay, so how about a high credit score? What's the lowest credit score that you've ever gotten someone a mortgage with? And don't say mine.
1: <laughs> um, well, you can get a private loan with no credit. So, uh, and we've done, done those. those okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. We've done those before. It's, that's mostly income uh, and asset based. Okay. you know, down payment. But you're going to pay a high interest rate. So, you know, 580, you know, you can work with an FHA loan.
0: I just recently went through a process of a small business administration loan. Crazy, crazy difference than a mortgage loan. Um, the amount of things that they check on, the amount of things that you have to like, you have to put your home up for collateral. Like, they, they're, not, they're not kidding. They yeah, don't mess around. Yeah, they don't. So it, it felt very, um, I'm not going to say invasive, but very thorough.
1: Yeah, you're um, securing the note.
0: I know. Yeah, I know. Personally. It's weird because you have to come up with a personal asset list. And I always, like, I gloat when I see my personal asset list. Like, I'm like, woo! Like, I don't feel wealthy until I see it on paper. Do you have a spot for kids or in life or cars or anything like that? Um, (laughs) In that process, you have to document everyone in your life. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because in theory, they can get you in trouble. So, financially speaking, you don't want, like, an ex-wife bringing you down and having you to sell your house. So you actually yeah, you get to put on the note of your house. So, yeah. It's not a lien, is it?
1: it kind I of, don't think it's
0: a lien. It's not. But if you fail, they get theirs first. I'm Rob Black. Welcome back in, Rob Black, and your money on Rob Black. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, which is my Twitter handle, my YouTube handle, Rob Black Show. If you want to find me on Facebook, it's cron 4 Black. it's cron 4 Black. Some cities make more sense to rent in than others, and that's one of the flaws of this show, is you can't make a broad statement and say everyone should rent or everyone should own. Everyone should buy this stock. Trust me, the amount of people that should individual stocks is very, very small. But I'll go out and I'll say, like, hey, I think Visa and Verizon are wonderful long-term investments. Those are my two Vs. In case you need to know, another V, I probably don't have one. I could look at the athletic stocks. Um, and, you know, what are the athletic stocks? Lululemon is the small one. The mid-sized one is Under Armour. The large one is Nike. I think they're all going to work over time, over the short term, I don't know. One could be a tortoise, one could be a hare, and one could be a donkey. I know you're saying, is that your favorite story, the tortoise and the hare? No. But it's a good story, if you're putting assets on them, stocks versus bonds. They, they, They all get to the finish line, so don't stress. As a renter, it's easy to feel the pressure to buy a home. You can build equity, you can take care of or you can take advantage of some tax breaks. <clears throat> it can take you a while to break even on said property. So there's something called a break-even horizon, the number of years that it takes before owning a home makes more financial sense than renting in the same home. So there's some cities where renting rules. One of them is San Jose. So it takes about two and a half years of owning to, to take out that advantage of owning so that's why you have to say you're going to be in a property five to ten years. Otherwise, you probably should rent. So another city that's cheaper to rent than to own, the break-even area, is Seattle. Denver, San Francisco, Colorado Springs, Phoenix, Minneapolis, surprisingly Albuquerque, New York. New York's one's a surpriser. It takes about 3.2 years of owning to compensate that you know, cheaper cost of renting. So Washington DC is on the list, San Diego, Honolulu, obviously some very high profile areas. So Tony Mendez, a little bit about renting versus owning. Tony Mendez, BayAerialOwnSource.com. How are you? Good. So any thoughts on like the millennials? They are that younger group of people, 25 to 35, who have a reputation for eating fresh food, who have a reputation for living with mom and dad, having I mean, a lot of college debt, highly more unemployed than any other generation at this point of their careers. Yep, it's about 9.1%. Uh, any commentary on how do you push a millennial
1: into buying a home? Wow. Um, over 50% of them already want to buy a home. Yep. Um, statistically, uh, they also have a lot of debt. So what, you, millennials are carrying some serious
0: challenges into buying a home. When buying a home, is that student that – how negative is that for them?
1: Well, it's, it's a low, for, for the size of the debt that they can carry, the payments is, are pretty low. So, but it does still calculate in a debt ratio. I was talking to, to a client who had student debt. He had to, about $25,000 in debt, and he had a below average credit score. So when you look at those two as a combination, you have and, – and this is a typical millennial. You know they've they've run up credit card debt. They've missed a couple payments. They're you know living at home longer. They're they're getting married later in life, so they don't have the dual income. So th- these are some of the challenges. But he had uh, the debt, which had about a $450 payment. And then he had the student loans that had another. Um, I'm sorry, the, pay- the student loans were about $450, and then he had the lower interest rate, which increased his payment by another $200. He had to make it to for a qualified bar with good credit, no debt. He had to make another like $18,000 a year just to qualify for the same house. So they have to make more money in a lot of cases. They have to save more down payment. They have to look at things like FHA with higher mortgage insurance because of the the down payment situation. Then they have to compete with buyers that have ability to put more cash into a transaction. So these are the challenges they're facing. And and I, I brought it down simply to say you need to fix your credit, lower your debt, you know, because that's the only way that you can really compete and make it make it worth the sense. Otherwise, it makes more sense to keep funding your retirement because
0: you going to have all that other payment
1: on the on the side.
0: Absolutely. Now, buying a home is an intimidating process. You know, just even saying I'm gonna I'm looking to buy. I mean, I remember the first time I looked to buy and met a real estate agent. I'm like, you're pretty. And then I'm like, I better kind uh, of get a little bit more savvy with who I'm working with other than you're pretty. Can you imagine using a money manager? You're pretty. Is <laughs> the thought in your head, like, this is not going to end well. So I don't like fancy. I don't like uh, – I've learned to, like, find a real estate agent who knows that area and basically focuses on that area. And yeah,
1: the, the process is definitely intimidating, and it doesn't – just because you buy a house once doesn't mean that you're over the hump. Um, you still have to really do your research, uh, find a realtor that's in the neighborhood that you want to buy in. And, and But before you do all of that, you have to figure out how much you can afford. Um, and that's what it comes down to. Most people qualify for a home loan, most pe- but it may not be the amount you want. So it comes down to affordability. So figure that out first and then work with a realtor that understands the whole process. And, and I know it's difficult to find somebody that, you know, just by answering asking a couple questions of whether or not that they actually qualify for that, but find a realtor that knows the area and then get a gut, good gut feeling.
0: Yeah. I tend to like um, two types of realtors, and I'll, I'll refer to them as Jedis. One of them is the you know, the one who's always been there, and the other one is the most successful, most powerful, maybe even a dark lord, the guy who has the most transactions, the guy who he apparently knows all the other brokers. He apparently knows all the other real estate agents, and he calls them up and says, hey, I got this property, and, Suddenly, that's who I want for selling my home, for buying my home. I want the old, wise Obi-Wan Kenobi, who's been roaming the desert by himself for years and years and years. Um, I want that person who knows that neighborhood really well, and not necessarily is trying to get the fastest transaction, but he wants you you to buy the home that your family will be in. I mean, he takes it kind of like personally. He knows that neighborhood so well. So I have a different buyer and a different seller in realtors in my head. They're not the same. So... Obi-Wan can't, when it comes time to sell my home, he can't get enough action going. I want 100 people bidding on my home, not 10. So, any thoughts? Yeah, you
1: know, um, I had your realtor on, yes. last on my show, the, the, the last time um, I was on the air. And, you know, we talked about those things. We talked about how to find a good realtor. Um, and it, it, it really does come down to gut feeling and, and a realtor that knows the area. But, you know, nowadays there's there a lot of realtors have gone out of business, a lot of the bad ones. So it's a little easier can right you, now to you find go to, a, Can you go out of business as a realtor?
0: Because aren't you working from home
1: you know, mostly? I suppose, I suppose you could just do real estate. And you know, There's a lot of people that just do real estate transactions or become realtors just so that they can buy and sell homes on their own and 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 represent themselves so they don't have to split the commission. Uh, You know, it's a big fee. If you're doing a five hundred thousand dollar house, you're fifteen grand that you could that you could save, and it it helps your profitability. So there are a lot of home realtors, of course, and I'm not saying avoid those people. There's some really good ones that live in neighborhoods that they want to sell in. You know, they necessarily don't have an office there, but they're sponsored by a larger company and they live in that area. That's who I would focus on
0: when it comes to focusing on places to buy a home. I'm always, always going to say good school district for kids or something like a great college right next door. You know, there's colleges like, um, well, I guess UVA and Virginia Tech. I mean, I guess they have some good school districts, but some colleges are more remote and may not have that school district for children. But you are buying a college town where there's going to be professors and there's going to be doctors and there's going to be students. So there's always, like, someone who would probably want to buy your home in theory. But um, good school district is huge. It's huge. Um, I don't know. I know a lot of people want to own land, but rock, scissors, paper, when it comes to buying a home. I'm, I'm, school district,
1: yeah. School district eats land. Absolutely. You're seeing it here in the Bay Area more over than anywhere else in the country because, you know, California has challenged school dis- districts to begin with. And you find a good one, and you're going to stick with it. And the home values are going to go up, period. You're going to have more demand. You're going to have better neighborhoods. better. Yes, you're going to pay some more taxes, but that helps. You
0: have better streets, better better amenities around. I would be interested in a study that looked at things like um, East Palo Alto versus Palo Alto. Um, parts of Fremont. I mean, some parts of Fremont are really, really high end, and some of them are really, like, living in the ghetto. And there's the high schools. I could tell you one of them is a ghetto high school, and one of them is a, a considered a, a sterling star of the, of the nation. Um, I would be interested in seeing what sort of discount you get per square footage living in the ghetto. I can show you several appraisals. Probably
1: you can figure it out. Yeah, yeah it's probably like to a good. great a great guest that I had on the show the other day was an appraiser, and and it doesn't get any better than somebody who just and and that's what they do. They they do what a, a realtor can't do, and they look at. You know, just the little differences between one street and another street, and then you know the granite countertops in one house and the granite, you know, the 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 vinyl in another house. It just, it's, it's really cool what an appraiser goes through. Um, they they went through a really rough time before the HBCC Home Valuation Code of Conduct, um, and they start. They now have to work for appraisal management companies, but you know, and they they don't make as much. So there's the good ones are sticking around, the bad ones just kind of you know, fell off the map, just kind of like bad realtors. So the industry's changed a lot, Rob, in the last five years. I think a lot of people have realized that, but there's still, you know, the young buyers just,
0: it's got to be intimidating. Can an appraiser make enough money um, to get by in the Bay Area? Because aren't, the appraisal, set, aren't the appraisal fees set kind of like in stone now?
1: Well, with, with the appraisal management company involved now, the, the fee are split. So the appraisal price didn't go up, but the fee is split now. Right. So they, don't, they aren't making as much. Not only that, there's just not a lot of activity. Our volume is down. Refinance and purchases are down considerably. So
0: they've just gone to the wayside. Interesting, because I got a neighbor who's an appraiser. And I'm like, how is he paying his bills? Wife, two kids, Bay Area. There you go. He's, maybe he's one of the busy ones. He's one of the good ones. He's busy. But yeah, I'll just scratch my head on that one. You can find me online at robblack.com. You can find Tony Mendez if you want a mortgage loan, refi. BayAreaLoanSource.com. it's BayAreaLoanSource.com. my rhythm goes I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. We've been talking a little bit about buying a home and some of the things you should look for. If you can't put down the usual 20%, you may still qualify for a loan. There's a lot of uh, openings there, and it seems to be getting a little bit easier now. It, it, we went from like in 2006, so basically you have got a pulse so you can get a loan. And then 2010, you're not getting a loan until you can prove, you know, the moment you were birthed that your birth mother is your birth mother. Like, it just got ridiculous, the amount of standards. And it seems to be loosening up a little bit right now. And that seems to be, in my opinion, in response to how do we keep the economy moving forward. Um, in the first quarter of 2014, 44%, 43% of all homes bought were bought with cash. And that's not healthy. Healthy is a young family getting in their first home, struggling to pay it off over 30 years, uh, deciding do we go on vacation this year or do we get, you know, new wallpaper. Wallpaper. (laughs) I guess that's an old concept. Um, But you get the idea. So in order to get that first-time family in, we have to loosen some standards. So, and we have to take some chances. So I think you're going to continue to see that happen one of the things you want to do when you're purchasing at home is decide, you know, pay points or not to pay points. And what does that even mean? Like, that's one of those terms that it just has the wrong name. Do you want to buy a long-term discount is the better way of putting it, but we use the word points maybe to confuse people and or not. Tony Mendez, Bay Area Loan com. Give us a little insight on what points are.
1: Uh, this. Two different kinds of points. There's origination points and there's discount points. points. Origination points are what you would pay a broker or a lender for the transaction as their fee. Nowadays, that's usually built into the rate. So what you're really dealing with is discount points. Discount points can be positive or negative. Positive means that you're going to pay the, the, the lender for a lower rate. For example, let's just say 4.5 is the rate, and you want 4.2. Well, it could come with a cost, They say, a half a point or a point. That's a percentage of your loan amount. Um, and then you get that benefit over a longer period of time. And then at some point, it doesn't make any sense to go any lower. And it works in reverse. And this is how people get lower-cost loans, where instead you take 4.75, and that gives you what they call a negative point, and that becomes a rebate to you that you can use towards your closing costs. And that's how lenders used to pay for um, you know, to give you that kind of advantage in, in closing costs. So a lot of lenders are doing what they what they would consider lower cost loans. And with this rate environment that we're in now, um, over the last you know several years, uh, after rates dropped below four percent, it doesn't make a lot of sense to pay points. Um, it's just a lot of what they call yield spread that's get, coming back to the borrower. So it, it, it doesn't make sense to pay points right now uh, when rates are low because they're already low, and that the purpose of paying points is to get a lower rate now. If, let's say, you needed to qualify and you needed to pay the points in order to lower the rate so that you could qualify, that's another reason that you would want to do it.
0: Other things to think about when bidding on a home or consider buying a home is doing your homework. You know, really find out and and don't waste your time. Don't waste waste your agent's time. Uh, I'm going through a process right now of buying a property, um, a, a luxury property, and they differ like golden clay in the city that I'm looking at. You know, some of them are cabins that are rustic. Some of them are cabins that are luxurious. Um, don't waste the agent's time sending you things that are rustic if you don't want rustic. You know, don't do it. So it's just you'll save yourself time and you'll get a better property if you really really know what you want. So do a couple tours of homes, open houses on Saturdays Sundays. Um, go take a look at what's out there. And I remember buying a home a couple of years ago and. I live in a community that apparently had a lot of, like, 90-year-old people that had original rugs in their house. Like, it was pretty rough. I was like, I don't want that. Like, I don't, I don't want a complete project. I just don't want a complete project. And, uh, yeah, I some people do. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, I wouldn't mind having a complete project. And the thing about the kind of market we're in right now, though, is that, and you're going to find this across the Bay Area uh, completely, that you're not going to get much of a discount for a house that's in distress. And that's what a lot of people are running into because people have the extra cash to put into it. I watched a house in my neighborhood sold for top dollar, and it was it it needed a lot of work. The rooms just didn't work. The kitchen was old, needed new floors, probably a new roof. And I watched, and it it sold to a, a, a nice young buyer, a couple. And they, they went to proceed to put in a new roof, painted the whole house, and they completely gutted the house and, and redid it. So they probably spent another hundred grand on top of the full purchase price. So that's what a lot of people are running into, and they're still looking for deals, but there's not a lot of those, unfortunately. And you're still going to pay top dollar when
0: you do find them. I like having a home inspector. Um, kind of like an appraiser. A little bit different. Um I like the home inspector because you really like he'll say, Hey, your your house is, you know, forty four years old, the roof is ten years old, uh he'll take pictures of water damage, he'll tell you like yep. I like that
1: Especially kind of Especially on a first time home buyer. You just don't know what you're getting into. You, you don't know what a crack in a foundation means or what's a what's a um what not the sump pump. Is that what it's called? The sump pump in the sump pump. Uh, what 's termite damage and where where is it worse? I mean, if you have termite damage on the outdoor stairs, you know that 's easy, but if it 's in your foundation or in some of the beams that 's awful um, and it could cost thousands and thousands of dollars but you know um, the problem with some of those is the sellers aren 't willing to pay for them there's, you have a lot of there's a lot of homes that are right on the edge of making money what they call uh, 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 implied equity or implied underwater, meaning that if they were to sell their house that after the commissions to the realtors, they'd still only break even. So there's a lot of houses right there, so they can't really afford to pay for a lot of these repairs. Uh, and, and we're running into this, these problems right now where um, the sellers aren't going to do these repairs, and you have to come up with the extra money to fix these, sometimes before you even do the transaction. So you have to be really creative in, the, in this kind of market right now.
0: You can find Tony at com. It's com. You can listen to me. Course, Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. on AIM called to debut. Tony does a show Thursday evening at 6. It's called The Real Estate Rapport with Tony Minday. You can find me online at robblack.com. Welcome mm-hmm. in. Rob Black in your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money investing, and more. Focusing a lot on real estate Day because I got my mortgage lender friend Tony Mendez in studio with me. Rob? Howdy. Um, the real estate market, it, it, it goes through some cycles, doesn't it? It sure does. So, um, one of the things that I noticed when I, when I first came to the Bay Area 15 years ago, roughly, Marin was the BMW capital of the world. And it's not the BMW capital of the world because incomes, it was largely because people were tapping equity, home equity line of credit. I always find home equity line of credit's problematic because you you borrow money and you have to do something with that money. In theory, you're being charged an interest rate, so you have to beat that interest rate. Most people don't look at it that way. So when you buy, when you use a home equity line of credit and you buy a BMW, you're buying a depreciating asset at an interest rate. So that $50,000 car just became a $30,000 car and you're paying 2%, 3%, whatever the home equity line of credit is on top of the, the money you borrowed. So it's really, I, I, find, I find it problematic for most Americans. That they don't use equity lines of credit correctly. Uh,
1: yeah, and there, the lenders really put people in danger um, several years ago when leading up to the mortgage crisis or the real estate crisis in 2007, 2008, when they were offering equity lines on properties up to 100%. So you could do an 80-20, no money down, 100% financing, you ended up with the second loan and the values went down and you were stuck with the second loan that you couldn't, you know, and then the rates went up and people were struggling making their payments. Um, we see now, and and then they cut it back. You know, they froze limits, uh, values came down, you then know, they started only offering second loans up to 75%, which was smarter. And then it's finally coming back up. We can go up to 90% now. We have a lender that does 90% financing. You can do an 80 to 80 10 10. Um, but you know the nice thing about equity lines of credit, and you can have two forms. You can get them in fixed rate, a fixed rate, or you can get it at a higher rate, or you can get a ARM, which is basically on a monthly basis tied to prime, and that'll adjust, um, you know, every month. But you only pay, you only pay interest on the money that you borrow. So there are some people that can get an equity line for emergencies, maybe not for a car, but maybe for uh, you know kid's college or something that you just didn't expect. Um, and then pay the interest on only what you borrow. And a lot of people use equity lines now if they're doing home construction and they've already locked in a low first rate so that they don't have to touch that, they, they just get the equity line and use the money to do a renovation instead of doing a whole refinance, take the money out, pay interest on money that you're not using. So that's where the equity lines really make sense. It doesn't make sense to get an equity line to um, pay for a vacation. Or I, I just don't like paying for a car when you can get a car at 0% interest in most cases. I go to your credit union and, and get a, a super low rate on, on a car loan. Um, you know, if, if you're paying off high debt maybe, That would make sense, you know, to save money on a monthly basis, and then you can use that to focus on paying down that second loan. But, uh, yeah, a lot of people can can use it in the wrong way, but lenders are a little bit more careful nowadays.
0: So there's a new thing in construction, which is kind of interesting, in homes and uh, home developers. I don't know if you've heard of this one, but um, in San Francisco there's one called Hunter's Point Candlestick Park, where a developer is building 10,000 homes on a waterfront site south of downtown, they're building a school before they even build the houses so that parents are like, Ooh, it's got its own private school. So developers are getting pretty savvy because Prop 13 has really stripped the state from having the ability to raise taxes to pay for new schools. Um, So developers now are starting to say, okay, we're going to do a 10,000 home area and we're going to put a high school on it because we know people will move there for the high school. Uh, It's happening all over the state. Um, It's also happening all over the country. And like, for instance, sometimes we'll do like tech academies. So they'll spend, you know, couple, you know, $200 million building, you know, the best high school in the state, you know, academically. And, then build and there's, a not, even a, there's where, not even a teacher there yet. And you build a community around the school. Yeah. Pretty, pretty interesting, yeah. huh? Yeah, So there's one in Irvine that's really popular. And uh, it's worthy of note that, you know, California has, you know, the largest percentage of K through 12, you know, kids in the nation. We used to get their priorities, right? We used to build them
1: around malls. Remember that? We used to build a mall and then build a community around a mall. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. East Coast. Yeah, it's,
0: I don't miss the East Coast malls. So, no. at least the the West Coast they try to hide their malls. They try to build them into like the ecology, so to speak. So um, anyway, elsewhere there is uh, for the for the record there is a direct correlation between top performing schools and premium real estate prices. And again, that's we keep coming back to that again and again and again and again. So buying a home, um, commissions. Something people don't realize, and even selling a home, everything's negotiable. So if there's no inventory, you could probably cut the commission down from 6% to 4%. Realtors will chomp at the right to get 4% when they're, they have, you have nothing to sell, or you have one home to sell. So when do you negotiate commissions, Tony? Or how do you I negotiate had a
1: re- I had a realtor uh, drive you know 20 miles through a listing that was referred to uh, him by a friend, and... Over the phone, they discussed. You know, the, the the they didn't discuss the terms of the of the commissions, but they did discuss listing the property and the price and all that. And the, the realtor showed up at the house, and then he goes, "Well, by the way, I want to do this at four percent. I want you to discount by two on the listing." So, which is one percent to them and one percent to the, the buyer agent. So it that would be the appropriate time to discuss it with somebody is before they drive out there. I would say that. Um, you know, there's there are some ways that you can use, like Redfin. Redfin's a discount uh, realtor. Uh, you can get as a buyer. You can. They're going to go and say, well, we have a buyer. We're going to do less. So that's so maybe as a buyer or a seller, you would only focus on Red Redfin buyers, for example. Um, I I think the real the real estate market is locked down. I think realtors have it have have really created a great market for themselves where using a realtor attracts more buyers, more quality buyers. Um, I would not use a discount realtor uh, to sell my house. I'd rather use a realtor that that can attract more and more buyers. So you have this low inventory and you have, okay, so maybe I want a discount realtor to help, you know, save some money. But at the same time, you have a lot of buyers in low inventory where you can up the price and and get a quality buyer in there and possibly get, you know, 10% more than you thought. So... There you go. That's my opinion.
0: And you're sticking to it. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I like realtors. Why? should not we have a realtor internment camp? <laughs> yeah, we did for a long, long time. Some realtors I love. Some I find just complete tools. Um, there, you know, there's some realtors
1: that are dug in. They, they, they have their ways. They're successful at what they do. They, ha- they've created their own networking and and marketing tools that they use to, you know, attract buyers. But that's what it's all about. You, if you have a neighborhood that you're pushing, 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 and prices keep going up, and you're making everybody happy in the neighborhood, why would you hate that realtor if they're snobby and and doing the right thing?
0: Why? I think a lot of realtors hurt people. I think they get them into homes that they can't afford. I think that. In the end, they're looking for a transaction, and they're really, really focused on, like, long-term success, um, which is okay. You know, it sounds like a reason like someone. Hey, yeah, they're focused on long-term success, but it, there's just too many of them, and there's many that are unqualified. Well, there's no doubt there's too many of them.
1: Yeah. Um, there's
0: no barrier to entry. Anyone, Anyone could be a reason.
1: Dodd-Frank helped out a lot when, he said, uh, when they said, we're going to limit what a borrower can afford.
0: So... It's not realtors. <laughs> it is realtors. That's the best thing you'll ever make. Real estate always goes up. I've heard too much of it. Too. I disagree with you. I'm Rob Black. It's Tony Mendez. You can find him at BayAreaLendersource.com.
1: Welcome back into Rob Black and Your Money. This is Tony Mendez sitting in for Rob while he is getting a drink, I believe. He'll be joining us just momentarily. We're talking about real estate today, and we should have Rob any second here. Rob, there you are. Just talking. Here, here I am. I am on AM. This is
0: touring studios, I eat getting water. So, what are we talking about? He's talking about real estate. Still real estate, huh? I feel like we were almost done with real estate. You know, th- is there any more? Is there any more place left to go? I will say this. I'm going to get this back to the millennials. We are now in a situation where I think the millennials are like a real estate crisis. Um, in my neighborhood, there is one couple under the age of 35. That's it. On my street of, I, I guess, 100 people, I, I can't count houses. But there's one couple under 35. Crazy. Um, and you kind of need that, you know. Um, the place where I grew up and my mom still lives, it's just all old people now, and that hurts a high school. They have to go from further and further and further out to get kids to, to staff at school per se. Um, so I think we're not we're not at an epidemic yet. In theory, women have their biological clocks still ticking, and they will eventually move into my neighborhood. Mm. Because once you have a baby, you want a good school district, once you have a, you know.
1: Well, uh, millennials are, like we talked earlier, they, they're facing quite a few challenges. Um, higher prices, that's the big one. And even though Bay Area here has some great jobs, we're, we're adding more $100,000-paying jobs than any other city in, in, in the nation, yet millennials, which are most of these young, high-paying jobs, have a low home ownership rate. It's dropping on a yearly basis. Right now, it's sitting at like 36% or something like that. It's, it's much lower than it was in 2004 when we hit our peak.
0: There's a bit of a sexual revolution going on with millennials. They're, um, it's well documented that they're a little bit more, uh, what is the word that I'm trying to use here? Not mischievous, but a little bit more adventurous, shall we say? Okay. Uh, more partners than the previous generation. And um, kind of experimenting on what my mate will look like in the future, and they're not settling down. Um, you know, if you grew up twenty, thirty years ago in Iowa, you know your thought was settle down, get married right out of high school. Um, settling down and getting married is it's scorned. It's not looked well upon. It's go experience life. Um, go to New York for a couple of years, yeah. like they did on that TV show. So, um, so
1: what's better than living in the Bay Area, renting in a in a nice Cool hot area. This it could be even downtown Jack London or Santana Row or San Francisco. You know, or it could be Mountain View. Whatever is you know fits your need, but you're you're kind of employment locked and socially locked into the Bay Area. And if you don't have dual income, you're not going to end up in in a neighborhood like yours, Rob. And you're not going to have those kids that are going to go to that school. Yet you know you. It's funny your neighborhood actually has a lot of kids. Yet you don't have a lot of. You know, younger than 35. So people are getting married it's later yeah. in life. They're staying at home longer. They're not saving as much. Again, another one of the challenges that millennials are facing. Again, it goes back to w- w- where can they live? Where is the affordability now? And so I, it can be a, a new era. Robert Schiller from K Schiller uh, S and Schiller report. Um, he talks about how this is a new era of real estate, and it could last you know five, ten, fifteen years.
0: It's interesting because one of the couples that moved in. They have three kids, and uh, they moved in a year ago. And they bought the same size house as I did. They paid five hundred thousand dollars more than I did, which is crazy. Same square footage. Again, you're buying on square footage. You're Same school. I mean, same everything. But in the last year, they've they've done nothing to the house. They have no curtains. They have a TV. They've got beds. They have no kitchen table. They've you know they have nothing functional.
1: Any chance that part of that five hundred thousand dollars is because you live next door? <laughs>
0: I kind of help. Hope everyone thinks so. I have the T-shirt that's hey, Rob Black lives here. They have the put, T-shirt that says yeah, 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 but, but I'm Rob Black" I'm, I'm on the open house flyer. Rob Black next door. I'm not Gary Raditz David. I'm Rob Black. <laughs> um, no, I, I don't think yeah, I not there's any celebrity at all. I, I I might be the biggest celebrity in my city. Gary Bonds used to live in my city. Um, David David's not David Spade. Who's the other? Dana Carvey used to live in my city. Well, claims to fames. Um, the director of Zero Dark Thirty. I don't remember her name. Yep. But she won an Academy Award lived in my city. so Dana Carvey used to run through my street. I heard him talk about it once. A lot of people run through your street. Yeah. So Anyway, um, we're not doing the show totally dedicated to me, but that, that millennial couple that I'm talking about, and they're barely millennials. They can't afford anything in the house. And it just goes to show you, like, if he loses his job, they're going to lose that house. They overbought big time.
1: Well, you know, it, it, you talked earlier about how people need to make sacrifices. You, you said, oh, you need to, you know, make a sacrifice to get in a house. Maybe this is their sacrifice.
0: And Sometimes, yeah. They're going
1: to wait. They're going to, you know, do it slowly, but they wanted to get in the right neighborhood. But that's also,
0: like, a, a, a concept we should talk a little bit more about because I think there's something there. You know, I recently decided that I wanted to buy a luxury property for basically kind of legacy reasons. You know, I want to put something in my home or in my family that, you know, future generations can use and partake in. Um, That's important to me. So I'm going to have to, you know, leave my comfort zone of where I am and get something that, yeah, I might lose some money some years in. So I refer to a luxury home or a getaway home as you're buying like Tahoe or you're buying Hawaii. It's probably not going to cash flow for you, even if you want it to, unless you pay cash. It's probably not going to cash flow. Um, 30% of the time it's going to be rented. So 70% of the time it's not. You're not going to be in it 70% of the time.
1: In a situation like yours, though, you're buying it while you can afford it if there is a loss, right? So
0: there, there's different ways that you would, reasons you would do that. I look at it as buying a Picasso. You, you overpay, you really enjoy it for 10, 20 years, and then you sell it to someone else for a lot more money. Because Tahoe will be Tahoe, Hawaii will be Hawaii. I'm not sure Mexico will be Mexico. I'm not sure how
1: much this is helping millennials, but it, it there is a uh, the theory here is that you you're buying a luxury property elsewhere, and you could pro- let's say it's a vacation home, and you have somebody else help you pay for the mortgage. Millennials, one of the things that or strategies that a lot of investors and renters use is they buy property elsewhere. If they can't afford it here, they buy it elsewhere. So one thing that millennials can do is buy properties out of the city, out into a more affordable area where they can get rents and positive cash flow and have somebody else pay off equity. And then eventually down the road, they can use that towards putting it into a better property for themselves.
0: Like, for Just, instance, I bought in Raleigh, North Carolina. Right. A home there, $140,000. Now mm. it's worth one hundred and sixty. But the mortgage has been paid off and by renters for 8, nine, ten years. And 20% of a
1: property here in the Bay Area right now, our median price is you know hovering Near 600. Okay. 20% of that is 120 grand. That could easily put you in a cash flow situation. Whether or not you can afford it here or not in the Bay Area, it can put you in a cash flow situation elsewhere. Now, that may not be the right strategy for your whole portfolio and retirement plans and so forth. They, they'll obviously have to consult somebody like you before you do that, but it, it's a way to get into real estate. So a lot of people are talking about that now.
0: Let's take a little bit of a break here. It's Rob Black, at your money. Be careful with those out of state and out of area properties. You want to know the area really, really well, even if you're not in that area. You can find me at robblack.com. You can find Tony Mendez at com. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Talking about a nation of haves and have-nots. I still think that it's a nation that if you work hard, you identify your skill sets, you can do pretty well. But I think it's up to the parents to really get the kids to the point that they could identify their skill sets. I think college is still very, very important. I was stunned to learn homeless encampments, known as tent cities, are popping up all around the nation. There's one uh, just outside of San Jose that it can actually be seen like it's huge. It's, it's massive. It's 2,000 plus. It's unfathomable that that's where homeless people are ending up. Because you think of a homeless person and, you know, probably you're thinking a crazy person in San Francisco is the first thought that comes to mind. Some of these tent cities now are so big that they actually have mayors. They're overflowing with trash, old food, human waste, drug paraphernalia, some of them are totally clean. The National Law Center on Homelessness and Poverty documented, you know, accounts of tent cities between 2008 and 2013. There's 100-plus tent city communities in the United States. So they've been increasing reports of homeless encampments emerging in communities from in Hawaii, Alaska, and California, in Connecticut. Tent cities are common in areas where shelter space is scarce or housing is just completely unaffordable. So that's another option for the millennials. <laughs> Go live in a tent city for a while. Congratulations, you're an American. You have a college degree. Go live in a tent city. I don't know how bad that would be.
1: Hey, you might get more space in a in a micro apartment in San Francisco.
0: Yeah. Well, I like camping, so I guess I won't. I don't like lip. that's the that's the thing. When I was in college, I took a class on homelessness. Um, and it was fascinating because. It wasn't on homelessness, it was on poverty. And one of our homework assignments was go be homeless for a weekend. And so I went to D.C. and I acted like a homeless person with a girl who was in the class and walked around D.C. and slept on grates. But we weren't homeless. We both had homes to go back to. So that's the difference. Is the psychology is that uh, it's massively different. And, and now in hindsight, that is so effing crazy that I did that because people were coming up and they shoot you up with drugs and they charge you. Um, like You can get into some serious, serious trouble um, if you don't know what you're doing, if you're not savvy. Uh, and let's put it this way, I'm pretty soft. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not very savvy. So these hands haven't dug a lot of ditches, if you know what I'm saying. Um, so homeless at uh, 10 cities, and again, most people will never acknowledge it because they don't see it. If, in America, if you don't see it, it must not be something we have to think about. So millennials do need to leave that parent trap. Twenty um, percent of millennials uh, moved in with mom and dad in the last year. Uh, ages 25 to 34. Uh, it's too many people, and again, it's just it's delaying their future. And it's going to be interesting because sometime in the next 10 years, as the baby boomers continue to retire, there's going to be job openings. Um, but how savvy? Going back to I was homeless, but I wasn't very savvy. Uh, how savvy will these people be when they get out in the housing market or will they just, you know, chomp at the first offer they can get any apartment in Stockton and I'll drive two hours to work and that's still not a good idea kind of thing. So anyway, location, location, location is what we always learn about in real estate. Teddy Mendez is with Bay Area dot com. He is, he is, uh, does a show here from six to seven on Thursday evenings, drive time. You can call his show. 800-516-1220. In fact, you can call this show 800-516-1220. Um, mistakes that people make, and they don't make them just in real estate, but they, they make them at different times of their lives. Like I think the biggest mistake that a 60-year-old makes now is that they underestimate the cost of future medical costs and they overlook their income. Um, they live too long and medical costs are going to be huge in retirement. Um, sometimes fifteen, twenty thousand dollars 20000 a year. Um uh, you think of Medicare as free? It ain't. Um, it's actually, you know, it's it's gone up. It's gone up aggressively. It's a monthly payment that you have to pay. Um, people don't know that. Then there's deductibles on top of that, and there's you know how much healthcare can you use, what is covered, what isn't covered. Uh, people in their 50s, one of the big mistakes is they do is they, they co-sign too many loans and they get defensive with their savings. I've seen that a lot. What have you seen? Um, co-signing on a house,
1: co-signing on student loans, co-signing on, uh, credit cards, anything that it, it hurts your debt ratios. Then again, a lot of the 50 year olds already have a house and, and it's not going to hurt their ability to, um, you know,
0: finance it and they don't need to in most cases. Yeah. When you co-sign a loan for a kid, I look at it as you better know that you're paying for that loan because that's probably going to happen, you know. Yeah. Co-signing is the, the fastest way I think
1: you can screw up your credit. Okay. Because you're relying on the other person to
0: to make that payment. Let's go a phone call. We have with us Nick and Matteo Nick, oh. go ahead. Hey, uh, hey, how you guys doing, Robin? Uh, Tony. Hey, Nick. good. Yeah, I just had a question about an uh, out-of-state uh, property purchase. Uh, I'm wondering if, uh, Tony, can you handle or do the loans for those, or do like, you have to contact like a local broker or lender in that area that I'm purchasing
1: property in? Uh, that's a good question. Um, all right, now, do where are to... you buying? Uh,
0: probably um, Austin or,
1: uh, or Dallas. Okay. Uh, Texas has some interesting rules. I'd probably use te- a Texas broker. I'd probably contact a realtor. And have have you already done your research in finding a property?
0: Yeah, like I have a you know a few key areas in those uh, in those neighborhoods uh, that I'm looking at. I'm I'm just trying to figure out how the loans work.
1: Yeah, I you know even though that there there are some reciprocal states that you can do transactions through, and, and you can get find a broker that has licenses in multiple states. I'd still prefer that you use a broker in the state that you're buying in, unless you're taking money out completely free and clear and then buying that house free and clear. So, uh, and, and then you're just dealing with a realtor. In this case, I'd, I'd work with a realtor that has a good loan agent so that they have good communication because if you're not going to be able to be there on a on a daily basis – and going right. through that transaction and working with title and the, doing the signing and you have a realtor and a loan agent that are working together, a good team, which is extremely important when buying real estate, okay. um, I, I would work with a broker in that, in that area.
0: I would be careful, and thanks for the call. I'll give you a little bit more color on this. I prefer Austin over Dallas. Um, I've heard some radio shows where guys guy is pushing buying properties in Dallas, and what he's not telling you is he's getting a big kickback from the developer. And I find that almost illegal. Um, I have big, big problems with people telling you, oh, yeah, you should buy in this town, and not telling you, because I'm getting a big, fat commission. Austin's lovely. Austin's got a lovely college scene, uh, young scene, young people. Dallas, is, to me, it's it's a, a big, honkin' piece of concrete in the middle of a desert. And you look left, you look right, you look north, you look south, and it's nothing but desert. And they can build forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It's like Sacramento. When I go to Tahoe, I drive through Sacramento, I'm like, marsh, 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 condos, marsh, condos, marsh, 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 condos. That marsh will all be condos one day, and there's no value of anything in Sacramento other than the government, Um, which is okay. It's okay. There's probably a couple of nice neighborhoods that I would buy in Sacramento, but I would not buy Sacramento based on, it's got the government. It's, I would definitely not buy a condo. I, I would have to be out of my mind, having suffered some sort of head trauma, to buy in Sacramento because it's just a long stretch of nothing. Mr. Mendez, should I run for the, the mayor? Of Sacramento? I,
1: I, I don't think you're, maybe you should run for the, the tenth city down the block, but I think you'd get that one. Um, okay. Yeah, I like Austin as well. It was on. It's been on the list for hot, hot investment cities in the United States for the last ten years. Um, great music town, young people town. You're gonna. I think you're gonna find. It's got a good college. You're gonna find good, better opportunities there. Um, You know, there's there's so many other places in the United States that that you can buy. I, I you know, Rob, I, I do disagree with you a little bit on state capitals. I like the fact that state capitals will have a little bit more job security than other kinds of cities. Like, which I noted. Which which you did note. um, and, and then you also have big companies that have their, you know, their headquarters there, and you know, for, for you know, any kind of legislation or red tape that they have to go through, you know, to keep in business. Uh, you know, I have a, a home in a state capital in Virginia. I'm not. And, not
0: I didn't knock state no, capitals.
1: You're putting words in my mouth. You're, you're not, I said
0: Sacramento, which is a state is, I didn't say all state capitals. Let's go back to the digital tape. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, um, but I don't like your home in Richmond. It, it cash flows. I know. I, I don't like it. I think you would have been wiser to, to buy in California, and i you'd be up about four times as much. The, the fact that I lived in the property and I could
1: have got the capital gains exemption within a certain period of time is something that I would have definitely considered. But, you know, I did this before the real estate crash. I didn't know that I would. I could have still gotten more money then than I could now. Say so, it. Say it. I don't like my own pay- home in Richmond. I like my home in Richmond. I can't do it. If you like vinyl siding, it's not coming out of my mouth. Say, I like vinyl siding. I don't have to paint my house. <laughs> All I have to do is clean it. There you go. It's a lot cheaper than painting. I have like five things on, on my exterior to paint like four door, door frames and a garage. That's it. Okay. And it's rented free. You know, and it's, it'll, it'll be paid off in less than 10 years.
0: Somebody else is doing that. That's fine. But I, call, I, I would refer to that as my rental, not my house. However, it's on my tax return, along with some other property. So it, it's doing its thing. You, when you leave your house in Richmond, you go, and his mama cries, because if there's one thing she do not need, it's not a hungry mouth to feed in the ghetto. I'm just going to stop right there. I, I have no comment. Let's package this show up and send it to Smithsonian. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. And his mama cries because if there's one thing she don't need, it's another hungry mouth to feed in the ghetto. You can find Tony Mendez in the ghetto at bayarealonesource.com. That's bayarealonesource.com. like so every song now has to have that door slamming sound in it. Ah, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Today we've been talking a lot about real estate and some mistakes that people make and how to do things the right way. One of the big mistakes you make in your 60s, you know, is not counting on how expensive healthcare is going to be. One of the mistakes you make in your 50s is co-signing a loan for your kids or getting too defensive with your savings. You know, you've now got a pretty big nest egg, and you're in the final, you know, 10 years, and you get too conservative. And you miss 10 good years in the market, or seven out of 10 good years in the market. Um, so it's risky if you have $300,000. You still need to get it up to six hundred to a million minimum. Minimum six hundred, dollars um, And that's going to give you enough cushion to get by. But not by much. So, in your 40s, I think one of the biggest mistakes you can make is funding college accounts over retirement accounts. Um, Fidelity does a good job of doing commercials on, you know, it's a mom and dad holding a newborn baby, and then the kids on the bike, and then the kids got prom, and then the kids going to college, and, you know, the kids graduating college, and then it's a f- commercial for 529 plan. Like, you should save money for your kid's college when he's born as a baby. What the message should say is we want you to do business with us and we're going to guilt you into that. You're a bad parent if your kid doesn't grow up to go to college. I don't dislike Fidelity. and We, can, we all know that they could probably have not killed. They're that powerful of a company. But I want you to max out your 401k because when your kid does go to college, you can take a loan out against your 401k. You can co-sign loan with a kid. You can refinance the house. You don't have to have that 529 plan. It's nice if you're wealthy, to have that tax-deferred savings, that to have that money come out tax-free for all the capital gains that you would have had to pay, but it, it's very, very optional. Um, and also in your 40s, a big mistake you make is not saving enough. I look at my budget on a regular basis. I check with my insurance quotes on a regular basis. It takes work, but every year I save a couple more thousand dollars than I did the year before. Um, you know, I do things as ridiculous as... Um, I save my credit card points. So when you get that 2% back or 3% back, I automatically put that into a saving account. So to me, it's not like a free flight to lie, woo! So anyway, mistake you make in your 30s. um, This is an interesting one. The biggest mistake that I see in the 30s are people who combine their their assets when they get married um, and they delay life insurance. Those are the two biggest ones that I see or they delay disability insurance probably the biggest mistake I see so combining your finances I know a 30 year old woman who got out of college, settled down with her college sweetheart, worked her butt off, got her career going, he worked his butt off got his career going and she paid off his $30,000 of student debt and then he ran up $30,000 more of credit card debt um, and then she decided to leave him <laughs> so that, that worked out well for him So, real well for him. Um, But yeah, that's one of the biggest mistakes. So, if you have assets coming into a relationship, keep them separate. Until you feel comfortable when you have kids, maybe start combining your assets then. Start getting together on the same financial plan. But so many marriages don't make it that first 10 years that if you had assets coming into, once you take your maiden name off that asset and put your married name on it, it's half his. With that said, probably the biggest mistake in your 20s is just spending too much money. I mean,
1: we also heard you talk about how people have 401Ks or beneficiaries and they don't switch beneficiaries. After no, that they th- that f- doesn't,
0: that's not as big because people tend not to die in their 30s, but it is a big mistake for sure. So, um, And also, like I, I should have mentioned a little bit more about term life and disability life. People die and you have obligations in your 30s that you didn't have in your 20s. If I died in my 20s, Who cares? But the obligations that I've created in my 30s and 40s, much, much, much more ramifications. So term life insurance is the best one to get. never get whole life, never get variable life. The biggest mistake people make in their 20s is just spending too much. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're out of the house, you have a six-figure job, and you're like, I'm going to go have – you know, I saw a steak the other day for $44 at a restaurant. And, I'm like, when I was 25, I probably would have got it. But now I'm like, that's $50 with tip. You know, it's, and that, that doesn't mean I'm cheap. It just means that I'd rather use my money on a vacation house. So, $44 a day. And the steak isn't that good at that place.
1: You, yeah. you remember my brother who had a decent job in his 20s. Yeah. Well paying job for his. It
0: didn't save a penny.
1: Didn't save a penny. He had the cars. He had the stereos. He, he The one thing he did do right was get a house. He did spend money on a house, which ended up losing a little bit of money, but that's okay. Um, but he didn't. He, he went into his thirties with four kids with no savings, absolutely no savings. Of course, he's doing a little bit better now. But
0: he had to work his butt off just to get to where he's at. Your brother's first townhouse, I went in. Oh, it was filthy. It was awful.
1: You know, they used we used to have these uh, cleaning interventions. In, <laughs> you think I'm kidding? It's Kind of like a hoarding intervention, but with clean. It was, and we would we would go in there. with it was his parents. I mean, my, his parents, my parents, and. Uh, my sister-in-law's parents. And they, we went in there and we cleaned the whole house for
0: them. We had to. I mean, the kids were living in filth. It was awful. It was. It was disgusting. Yeah. He's been kind of disgusting. He's kind of carried that over. I remember uh, even his nice new house. His, his cat litter box. How do we always end up with, probably my had 40, brother bashing? Probably had forty-five days of urine and, and poop in it.
1: How do we always end up brother bashing?
0: I know. I know. It, you know I, when I left when I left his house, I and "Look the other way." Well the world turns, and a hungry little boy with a red nose plays in the street as cold wind blows and the get do
1: Oh, you're disturbed. <laughs> in so many so many levels.
0: Yep. I love Cartman. You know, if you could adopt Cartman, I would adopt Cartman. He is such a problem child. I love him. I would eat cheesy poofs every day with him on the couch. What can I say? I love Carton. It's Tony Mendez. You can find him at bayarealonesource.com. It's com. You can find his brother in the ghetto. And you can find me 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. here on KDOW AM 1220. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network. This station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax.